Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day as we wrap up what has been another wild week. And uh, we kind of get ready for what might be ahead. We'll talk markets today with Matt Bennett with agmarkets.net. Been a wild ride on the markets and uh, changing baseline there with the stocks report from uh, USDA. So a lot to look at with Matt. Also, we're going to talk about the pork market situation. Where are we on the packing plants? And as we head into winter, Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates, will join us for the perspective on that. And then, you know, it's a challenge all year, but we think more about it maybe at holiday time. But the challenge of, of, of feeding the food insecure in this country, it's a huge challenge. And we're going to talk with the... Uh, Managing Director of Nutrition and Ag Government Relations for Feeding America on the program today. The challenges going into this holiday season, especially with COVID-19 and ways that uh, you can help. So we'll be talking with Feeding America a little bit later on in today's program. But let's start things off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report from our nation's capital. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what might or might not get done in a lame duck session of Congress? I think the good morning, everyone. I think that the best we can hope for is that they'll get the appropriations bills done. I doubt that there will be a coronavirus aid package. Uh, maybe so, since since um, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell now wants one. But they're so far apart on the amount of money. You know, uh, McConnell wants. I think it's um, well, it's under a trillion dollars. And uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi wants $2.2 trillion. The White House is now out of the negotiations. So I think the prospects are very low. I, I, and, I, and I think maybe even lower for the inclusion of something for agriculture with the, with the commodity prices up and the uh, exports to China increasing. I just don't think there will be the incentive to do it especially since the Republicans don't want to increase the food stamp benefits, and, and that's what the Democrats want. We're hearing a lot of different names, possibilities uh, for key ag spots in a Biden administration. Some of the names are familiar, holdovers from past Democratic uh, administrations. What are you hearing? Well, I'm hearing that uh, the number one candidate is still uh, Heidi Kaidkamp, the former senator from North Dakota, uh, she would be the most conventional choice, the the big, most popular with with uh, agriculture, uh, and the fact that she's a woman would be an advantage in a, in a, an administration that is focused on diversity. Uh, but now, Marsha Fudge, the congresswoman from uh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, has put her hat in the uh, her her name in the hat, you might say. Um, and she would like the job. Now, uh, her expertise is in nutrition, so her disadvantage would be that she has never uh, taken many positions on agriculture, although she says she's worked on conservation more than most people uh, realize. Uh, just last night, I heard another name, uh, which would be Russell Redding, the, the agriculture commissioner in Pennsylvania. 
Now, the reason I would give him some uh, possibility for the job is that Pennsylvania, along with Wisconsin and Michigan, are the, are the, those are the states in which the rural vote for Biden increased uh, over the rural vote for Hillary Clinton four years ago. So uh, President-elect Biden would have a reason to want to reward one of those uh, states uh, for uh, how their rural areas voted. So those are names, possibilities for Secretary of Agriculture. Are you hearing any other names for other spots, say, who might be the EPA administrator? Uh, The only name I've heard so far is Mary Nichols, who is the head of the California Air Resources Board. And uh, uh, she, uh, I don't really, I don't know much about her, uh, but of course she's been involved in uh, in ethanol issues uh, 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 because because of her uh, because of her position. Uh, but that's the only name I've heard so far. I've been checking around for others, but I haven't heard anything else. Any other rumors around, like for trade representative or energy secretary, some of those that would really impact agriculture? I haven't heard anything about energy secretary, uh, but for trade representative, uh, Darcy Vetter's name has come up. Now, she was the chief U.S. agriculture negotiator under the Obama administration. Um, uh, so, you know, she would be very good on uh, on agriculture. Uh, but otherwise... Um, uh, no names that I that I really recognize. So it'll be interesting to see how the the administra- the the transition team is being extremely tight lipped about any of these selections, and only one thing has been announced, and that is that Ron Klain will be the White House Chief of Staff. I'm also wondering but, what role Tom Vilsack, the former Agriculture Secretary, mm-hmm. might play in this administration. Uh, he is known to be uh, close to Biden, and both he and his wife are close to the Bidens. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Vilsack were to join the administration as well. Yeah, that will be interesting to watch. One thing we have seen, a lot of people have, uh, as you said, put their names in the hat for different positions. Uh, we haven't heard much about who might get chosen, but we've had plenty of interest shown for these positions. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, uh, having a high-level position at the agriculture department or elsewhere in the administration um, uh, is very interesting work. And there are people who think there are a lot of things that that, uh, uh, that need to be done, uh, particularly in the future of, of exports uh, after the, uh, you know, all of the troubles with China in this administration. But at the same time, it seems likely that the relationship with China is still going to be contentious. So dealing with China and exports is going to be a tough job. Yeah, and in the meantime, all the ag groups are, uh, you know, reaching out and uh, and trying to get off on the right foot with the potential Biden administration. Yes. Now, the other big issue, of course, is who's going to be the the House Agriculture Committee chairman. Um, and uh, David Scott from Georgia, who is the next in line after Colin Peterson, who was defeated, uh, you know, uh, has said he wants the job, and Peterson has endorsed him. And uh, Peterson has noted that 
that when he became the top Democrat on agriculture, he took over from Kika de la Garza, who was Hispanic, and uh, Peterson has said that it would be fine with him that the person who succeeds him is African-American and Scott is African-American. Now, some people thought that Marsha Fudge might want the job, but she has said no, she doesn't want that job. Uh, she wants to be agriculture secretary. So that's put, put Scott in a pretty good position. But the next person running is, is also Jim Costa from California, who has much more agriculture experience and has the backing of the entire right. California agriculture establishment. A lot of moving parts, that's for sure. Thanks, Jerry. Okay, thank you. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Of course, still waiting for the election results to be finalized. That has not happened yet. We'll talk markets next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the U.S. Trade Representative has announced it is suspending $817 million in trade preferences for Thailand because the country has not made sufficient progress providing the U.S. with equitable and reasonable market access for pork products. Let's talk about it with Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. What was Thailand doing or not doing that you objected to? The United States is the biggest pork exporting nation in the world. It's got a product the second to none. And in any given year, we export to over 100 countries. But Thailand is not one of them because they have a de facto ban on our product. It's not right. We were patient. We worked with successive administrations and diplomatic overtures were rejected. So we had no choice but to work with the Trump administration to threaten to take away Thailand's special trade benefits unless they provide market access for U.S. pork. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I've seen a lifetime of farming, and the one thing you can count on is change. So, now there's a new inoculant for soybean growers from Lalman Plant Care. The new rhizobium species and unique technology in Lalfix Pro Yield Liquid Soybean deliver improved nitrogen fixation and iron uptake. I've seen a lot of change, but this, well, this changes everything. Contact your Lalman sales representative today. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking... 
Call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we've heard a lot of market folks this week weigh in on the WASDE numbers, and we're going to give Matt Bennett a chance to do that. Matt Bennett with agmarkets.net. Matt, good to talk with you. What did you think of those uh, WASDE numbers that came out? Well, you know, the the, the take-home, I guess, is that this is the tightest we've seen uh, in quite some time since about 2013, both corn and beans. The 190 on beans was without making any real demand adjustments because you basically lost 100 million bushels uh, due to production alone by dropping yield like they did. On corn, you know, we, we ratcheted up exports finally, something that we've been uh, – kind of hoping we would see happen for the last couple of months but you know obviously you took down the uh, production as well so you know we lost production picked up demand and you get down to one seven carry you take that and compare it to just three months prior in august at 2.75 billion bushel carry i don't know too many times in our history we've dropped our carry out by over a billion in three months but there's no question that those are very friendly numbers you know, uh, you would think, oh, geez, we're going to go up the limit on Tuesday, maybe rally the rest of the week. Uh, but we've taken the shine off this market uh, towards the end of the week. And I think a big reason, of course, is some of this COVID talk. Uh, people a little bit worried about, uh, you know, demand destruction, shutdowns, you name it. And we wait to see what kind of uh, prospects will be coming out of South America, right? That, that'll be a big factor moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they're catching a little bit of rain in some parts of Brazil. Uh, there's no doubt that they've had an awfully dry setup, though, and most of your forecasts are that they're going to stay dry. La Nina typically uh, has a negative impact on them as far as their rainfall distribution, and so as strong as the La Nina is, you've got to think it might be a little bit tough for them to be able to, uh, you know, to expect I guess, a normal-sized crop this year. Now, with that being said, Brazil's going to bring as many bean, acres of beans to the table as what they possibly can. You see the kind of rally that we've had of late, and there's no doubt the Brazilian farmers are going to do everything in their power to plant all the beans possible. So, uh, you know, even if they do drop off on yield just a little bit, you've got to think they're still going to have a monster crop coming out of the southern hemisphere. So a producer here in the U.S., needs to take note of that, whether they're looking at old crop beans, new crop beans, you name it. You know, this rally has just been a huge blessing, but uh, it's not really much of a rally if you don't sell some. We're talking to Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. But on the beans, aren't aren't a lot of the beans sold? Oh, there's a lot of these old crop beans that are sold, but if that's the case, uh, you've benefited greatly from this rally. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you were looking at November 21 beans down around 960, 970. Uh, as we speak this morning, we're about 1038. You know, I asked producers yesterday, hey, if you got 1030 or better for your spring insurance price, uh, how would you feel about that? Oh, gosh, I'd be thrilled. Well, why don't we go ahead and hedge a few beans off or at least put a floor under these things? I'm not saying they're going to go away. I mean, I could see uh, November 21 beans possibly getting up closer to $11. If that is, oh, boy, what a gift that would be. But I just cannot envision in my head a spring insurance price north of 1050 by very far, uh, which, of course, would be in the middle of, of February. So 
I think we need to keep that in the back of our head, uh, make sure we manage risk as the market goes up, because the more the market goes up, the more risk we've got to manage. So a lot of the focus, obviously, on the beans. Where do you, th where do you see this corn market going? Well, you know, Mike, I, I, I got to feel like this corn market, first of all, uh, the USDA probably didn't uh, adjust exports enough on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, 1.7 is certainly way tighter than what the trade was expecting. They finally came to the table, though, with the export adjustment, and it was about 13 million metric ton for China, whereas the FAS uh, uh, from the USDA had indicated the previous week, last week, you know, that we were looking at 22 million metric ton into China. Now, that might be a little bit rich, but bottom line is right now, most indications are that we're going to be seeing the exports increase. Uh, China likes to buy corn off the Ukraine the last couple of years, and Ukraine had a major drought. Uh, they're not going to be able to export near as much corn as what they typically have. And so uh, the U.S. is pretty much going to be the only game in town for the next several months, which is really good news for uh, our situation. And so, you know, I, I guess my personal opinion is that that 1.7 is going to get tighter yet. Uh, now, does that mean we're going to go to the moon? Eh, not necessarily, but uh, I also think that the corn market has a really good shot at getting to 450 or better. And I think new crop, you know, if you get up into that uh, 420, 425 area, a person needs to be pretty darn aggressive once you get into there, too. How concerned are you and how concerned do you think the markets will be about dry weather here in the U.S.? Well, that's a really good point, you know, and so when you look at our maps, you know, as far as the uh, drought monitor as compared to 2011, you know, we actually look fairly similar in a lot of areas south and west of where you and I reside. And so, you know, are we going to see that drought creep up into this part of the world and have a uh, anything even uh, close to 2012? We've got to hope that's not the case, but the market's certainly pay, paying attention, you know. Uh, moving forward, I think if you don't get a lot of moisture over the winter time frame, I think the market's going to have a heightened sensitivity just simply due to the fact that you're looking at much tighter U.S. Uh, carryout levels. You know, and world carryout levels are projected to be tighter as well, so you can't really afford to see the U.S. have any sort of a major issue as far as production is concerned, especially if uh, Brazil and Argentina uh, continue to get hit by dry weather that they've been experiencing. So I think we're going to keep a very close eye, you know, on what's going on as far as the U.S. weather is concerned as well. Where do you see bean acres going next year? Oh, mercy. I, I think you could see bean acres just blow people's heads off. Uh, you know, the thing about this, Mike, is that I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming that you're hearing the same type of things I'm hearing from producers because we're not too far apart. But there's a lot of places in Illinois, for instance, that the net income per acre on soybeans was just extravagant. And so, you know, I'm hearing a lot of producers say, why wouldn't I do some beans on beans this next year? Uh, get, you know, if I can go ahead and hedge these things off at 1037, 1038, we we're up to 1043 this morning, just seven cents shy of 1050. But, you know, I've got to think bean acres can get very close to corn acres this next year. I don't know if we're going to be uh, the same on acreage, but it would not surprise me one bit to see 90 and 90. Hmm, that'll be that will be interesting and see how that plays out uh, as we go through this winter. So, do you expect things to be choppy here through the winter, or or how do you see the markets kind of going through here at the end of this year and starting off next year? That's a great question. First of all, we've got a 
you know, try to figure out what's the impact going to be of uh, this COVID flare-up once again. Because, uh, you know, if we do see shutdowns, there's no doubt that it could have an impact on demand. But my personal opinion is that people are still going to get out and drive, uh, probably going to be a little less cautious than what they were in the spring. Now, I hope that they take precautionary measures, but I think it's going to be pretty tough to keep people cooped up the more that they know about the virus. So I don't think you're going to see this huge impact on demand that we saw in the fear of the impact on demand that we saw back in the spring. But if we can keep that from happening, I think you're going to see stable markets. Uh, are you going to chop around a little bit? Potentially, but I think stable, steady to higher is probably a fairly healthy assumption uh, whenever I look at the corn market. Bean market, it's hard to say because we're already at 1150. Uh, can we go to 1250? You know, absolutely. Uh, as a producer, though, do I want to be bullish at 1150 beans? I'm not so sure that that's a really good idea. Yeah, a lot of talk about you can blow right through 11 and 12, and then a speculation of how high it can go. Do you see that? I mean, could you see the top just blowing off of this or not? Well, I definitely see the potential for that happening. This is an extremely tight situation. If South America does not have great weather, for sure I could see that kind of scenario unfolding. So if you're a producer and you're saying, well, dadgummit, Matt, I want to participate in that, I totally get that. But do it on a limited risk. You know, I mean, a person goes out and buys uh, bean futures, they better have a pretty pretty strong stomach because that can go against you drastically very quickly so you know I want to do something on a limited risk basis to where I can participate in a chunk of that rally and you know what if it doesn't happen and I donate 20 cents to figure it out that's okay it's a lot better than donating a dollar yeah some big decisions to make but at least there are some good options out there uh, you know unlike not that many months ago when there didn't seem to be that many good options I'll tell you what, it's a lot more fun to talk about markets, Mike, than whenever we talked six or eight months ago. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> That's for sure. Matt, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. We'll talk again soon. Yep. Thanks for having me. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. All right, coming up next, uh, the challenge of feeding the food insecure in this country. It, it was already a big challenge, and then you throw in COVID-19, and the challenge has gotten even bigger. Groups like Feeding America are doing a great job, but they need help. And we're going to talk about that with Kerry Calvert with Feeding America. That is coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. As a certified crop specialist with your local FS company, I'm trained in agronomy, soil types, and genetics. I'm also completely dedicated to your farm success. So I'm more than just a crop specialist. I'm a do-whatever-it-takes specialist. A walk-a-mile-in-your-boots specialist. A we're in this thing together specialist. Ready for higher yields with proven brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy? Just ask me how. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it. 
with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Time now for a market check on AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Corn futures trending lower. Some traders worry that a full closure of the U.S. economy amid rising coronavirus cases could again hurt ethanol production and consumption as well. The market closing lower yesterday, in part on profit-taking. New daily coronavirus cases topping 150,000 in the U.S. for the first time ever in the past day. That's adding fuel to speculation about more lockdowns. Export sales of grains down from last week. Corn sales totaling 978,300 metric tons for the week ending November 5th, down 63% from the previous week. Soybean sales totaling 1.47 million tons. That's a marketing year low. However, the news isn't all bad. Soybean oil sales totaling 88,000 tons, near the high end of trade expectations. Soybean oil is trending 5 to 15 points higher. January soybeans up 6 and 3 quarters at 11.52 and a quarter. December corn down just a quarter of a cent at 4.08. Kansas City wheat December up a quarter of a cent. 5.44 and a quarter. Chicago wheat December down two and a half, 5.85 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat December down a penny and a quarter at 5.47 and three quarters. Live cattle futures December down 62 at 111.35. February down a dollar at 113.80. Feeder cattle January down 97 at 139.75. Saw cash cattle sales in the south yesterday on a live basis mostly at 110 to 111 per hundred weight. Lean hog futures, December down 67, 65, 12. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 150 points, S&P up 21, crude down 68. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. It is always a huge challenge trying to provide food for the food insecure, but in a year where you have COVID, it's been even a greater challenge. Let's talk about it as we are in the holiday season with Kerry Calvert, Managing Director, Nutrition and Ag Government Relations for Feeding America. Kerry, thank you for joining us again. Give us an overview of uh, of the challenges uh, 
that groups like yours are facing trying to help people in need? Great. Well, thanks for having me on the show again. I appreciate it and appreciate um, the, the time you take to connect your listeners with what's happening in the community. So uh, you're right. Uh, holiday time of year is, is always a stressful time for people that are food insecure. This year, with an uh, unprecedented pandemic, uh, that challenge is even greater. You know, um, we've certainly seen uh, some communities uh, have an economic rebound since March, but uh, our food banks, on average, are facing a 60% increase in demand. And, you know, 30 to 40% of the people that are coming to us have never needed to seek out food assistance before. So there's a lot of people that are still struggling in our community and, you know, are, are eager to find a job that will help them make ends meet but aren't able to. Okay, let me go over those numbers again that you just gave. 60% increase in demand for food assistance and 30 to 40% of those people are seeking help for the first time. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Um, You know, we saw this a little bit in the 2008 recession as well. A lot of people that, um, you know, had a a stable job saw it uh, disappear during that economic downturn. And really from 2008 to 2010, we saw food insecurity increase dramatically. Um, With the the pandemic, what we found is instead of a, a slow build as the 2008 recession was all at once, you, know, you had so many people that were filing for unemployment and seeking assistance. Uh, we've been surveying our food bank network uh, since March and keeping track of how demand is rising and falling. Um, so some months it's been a little bit less, but uh, we're seeing an uptick in demand for assistance again as uh, some of the assistance that's been provided by Congress has run out. Um, you know, some of the jobs just aren't returning or some people were working and are finding themselves really unemployed. How much help are you getting? I mean, are you seeing an increase in giving? We have. Um, you know, people in this country are, are so generous, and certainly we have seen that come through, um, which has been extremely gratifying to see. You know, um, individuals, companies, communities are really coming together to, to try to do what they can, and that's been um, really helpful. I think the, the uh, worrying part is that it's uh, not enough on its own to be able to keep up with the increased demand. Some of the initial assistance that Congress is able to provide, you know, for feeding programs, things like that, has really made a difference. So we're very hopeful that um, Congress will uh, focus on additional relief for people that are struggling soon to help us uh, meet that demand. You know, um, addressing food insecurity is something that, um, at its strongest, we see that both you know our government, whether it's local, state, or federal, um, you know, nonprofits like ours and other community organizations, and um, you know, individual citizens and um, the private sector can really work together to make a difference on. We're talking with Carrie Calvert with Feeding America. Carrie, across the country, some schools back in session, others are not. 
and we know that it's a lot of children are dependent on those school feeding programs where does that stand and how has that impacted the overall uh, issue that we're talking about here of food insecurity yeah it's been you're exactly right it's been a real challenge for for families um you know some schools are open some are closed or some may be open and then need to close as you know quarantines or numbers in their communities rise so um you know USDA and Congress has, has given the, the school lunch program some flexibility to make it easier to give kids the school meals they'd normally get in school, but we know it, it's just not able to reach everyone, and that's putting additional strain on families. Um, the additional flexibility to, um, you know, allow parents to pick up meals for the kids at the school for the entire week or the pandemic EDT cards that States has been distributing that basically puts the the funds that um, for free and reduced price lunch on a card so that families can um, go to the store and buy lunch for their kids, go to the grocery store and buy food for those kids. That's really helped as well. Um, But at the end of the day, there's still uh, quite an additional burden on families across the country that are trying to get nutritious meals for their kids. You know, I'm just thinking about that number we talked about earlier, 30 to 40 percent of of the uh, people seeking help are doing it for the first time. Those would probably be a lot of people that before this maybe had been donors, contributors, right? And now they're seeking help. Right. We've we've definitely seen that dynamic play out in communities. And, uh, you know, one of the things that our food banks have been trying to do is to let people know what resources are there for them, you know, whether it's um, resources the food bank is able to help them with, such as, you know, distributing food to them or uh, helping con- helping make sure they know about programs their kids might be eligible for, such as free lunch, or uh, helping them with uh, apply for SNAP benefits. You know, these resources are there to help people when they fall on hard times. So we want to increase awareness of all of the assistance that is out there um, while we can. So, Carrie, uh, people that are hearing this and 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 want to help, what's the best way? Obviously, they can send a check to Feeding America. That's helpful. What else can they do? Thank you for asking that. So, um, yes, there's so many ways that people can help. Um, so food banks and food pantries are always in need of pantry staple items to be donated, especially things that are shelf stable that can be, you know, packed in, you know, a, a grocery box um, for, for safe, low contact distribution. Um, we encourage people to uh, reach out to their local food bank to find out what their current needs are. If you go to feedingamerica.org, we have a, a state and a zip code location that you can use to find information for your local food bank. Most food banks also have a list of all the pantries and areas they serve on their website. So you can really um, choose to engage very locally. I think that's a great way um, to, to do that. I mean, I work for Feeding America, and so with, with my family and our community, we look for ways to engage locally as well because, um, and nationally because it, it really does um, you know, make such a difference when you can come together as a community. So go to feedingamerica.org and uh, enter your zip code or your state and find the food bank near you to get involved. Um, 
you know, donations of food are always, always, always welcome. Food banks also need volunteers. Uh, We've um, worked with the CDC and health authorities to put together protocols to ensure that we can keep our staff safe, the people that we're serving safe, and also to keep volunteers safe. So, um, you know, check to see if the food bank in your area is in need of volunteers. Uh, Many of them are doing uh, social distanced outdoor um, or indoor, very distanced with masks, um, uh, you know, packing events so that they can prepare all the food boxes to be ready for uh, food distributions. So that's another great way to get involved as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because of COVID concerns, is it harder to get volunteers to come help? It has been. It has been. In fact, in a number of states, the National Guard has been playing a vital role in um, helping food banks uh, both pack food and distribute it. You know, a lot of um, the food pantries that work with our food banks, many of them are entirely volunteer run. A lot of them are staffed by uh, seniors. So so not all of our pantries are able to uh, be open all the time, depending on what the you know, the pandemic is looking like in their community at, a, at the time. So as uh, local situations change, food banks have really needed to rely on volunteers or assistance from the National Guard to help make sure they can get the food out to people that need it. Well, the need's there year-round, especially in a year like this. But I think uh, a lot of times around the holidays, the people's thoughts turn to that maybe a little bit more. So uh, hopefully there we'll see a big push here Uh, during the holidays that will really help well thank you so much um i really appreciate having the time to come on your show today and to let your readers know what they can do to help out and i know many of them most likely already have been very involved and it really helps make such a difference in communities nationwide so uh thank you for all the help that your your listeners have already provided and uh thank you in advance to to all future future help that they're able to um, it definitely is put to good use what's your website again uh, people can go to feedingamerica.org and they can find their local food bank near them to get involved yeah we encourage people to do that carrie thank you very much thank you bye-bye carrie calvert with feeding america stay with us you're listening to aoa Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Seed corn companies love to talk about characteristics. Maturity, emergence, vigor. Those things are important, but at FS Envision, we've developed corn with some extra characteristics. Like attitude, like a fighter's will to win, like the spirit to persevere. Because in the end, those are the traits that get it done. Get Envision in the fight for you. Talk to your local FS crop specialist today. FS Envision. Never settle. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the Fish and Wildlife Service said that the gray wolf in the lower 48 states has recovered to the point where it is no longer needing to be listed as an endangered species. Let's talk it over with Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council. Explain, Caitlin, for those that uh, aren't familiar with this situation, why this is such an important issue. So we've seen significant depredation on livestock. We've seen impacts from, from single animals, single predators, 
across a range. And so what this delisting actually means is that livestock producers, that other stakeholders and states themselves are going to be able to use the tools at their disposal in a more coordinated way to address problem animals and to decrease those incidents of uh, predator and human interaction. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, it's been a while since we checked in with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates, to take a look at the uh, situation with pork packing plants and, and pork uh, markets. Uh, Steve, welcome back. Um, we know earlier in the year we had the issues with uh, COVID outbreaks in, in packing plants and, and them shutting down or cutting back. Now we're seeing another uh, surge in, in, in cases. Ha- is that impacting packing plants? Have we seen that this time around yet? Mike, it hasn't yet. Um, we're hearing a little bit of rumblings uh, at some processing plants, which would not be involved in slaughter, that are having some troubles uh, with with attendance and those kinds of things. We had a sow plant week before last that had some trouble, but we haven't heard anything much at our big uh, our big barrel and gilt plants yet, and that account for the the lion's share of our slaughter. Um, Watching them very close, though, because we're going to have plenty of pigs, and we really need them all running uh, this fall. Yeah, that, that has to be a concern, doesn't it? With the numbers we're starting to see with the positive cases again, uh, uh, what would happen if, if those plants started shutting down or cutting back again, as you said, with all these uh, uh, hogs coming to market? Well, it'd be the same kind of thing we had last spring. We've got to remember, you know, we were running huge slaughter totals the first quarter of 2020 going into all of this. Uh, we had lots of hogs out there, and so, you know, we're running about 2.7 million per week right now. We're going to be a little short of that this week because of Veterans Day. But, um, uh, you know, we're, we've got plenty of hogs. We need all the spaces we can get. And so we're very concerned about it. I mean, you got, as the cases go up, uh, you, you have more of the virus floating around. Now, what could come into play here, though, is that, you know, if, if you're at the, as I said, I think, on your show before, if you're at the point of the spear on the infections back in April and May, you also get to be at the point of the spear on immunity. So we don't know how immunity to coronavirus is going to work exactly, but um, we'd have to think that the population of workers in our plants is probably more immune than the general population out there. So that, that's one of the reasons for optimism. Uh, the second reason for optimism is, uh, you know, we're, we better be smarter than we were back then. I mean, we were completely ignorant about this, and, and so being so ignorant, I mean, we, we, we didn't do some things we should have done. And uh, so I think, I think, you know, companies will be a little more responsive to this, a lot more responsive to it this time. So hopefully we can control it and not have to shut plants down, or at least not have to shut them down for an extended period of time. We had several plants that were down for a week or more last, last spring, and we had eight of them down at once. And I, I think that's the real number that, that we got to watch. I mean, you know, if we have a plant go down for a day or two here or a day or two there or something like that, I don't see a big impact to that. But if you got 
you know, seven or eight of them down for several days, then then we're right back in the soup of backed up pigs and we can't get them all killed and all that kind of stuff. Now, we've worked through those those backed up pigs in the western part of the country. North Carolina still has a bunch of them backed up because they've got two plants out there that have never got really very close to their full potential. And so, uh, you know, with the hogs there, they, they've continued backing them up. The weight on packer-owned pigs, the packer-owned and packer-sold category in the, in the mandatory price reporting reports, uh, have just kept going up. Now, they've abated a bit the last week, uh, which tells me that maybe they're getting a handle on them, but they're, they're, those, those packer-produced pigs are almost as heavy as they were back in uh, the, uh, the middle of May or late May when we had pigs packed up pretty badly. So we've made a dent in that backlog then. Oh, I think we've made a good dent in it. I think uh, from Ohio West, I think we're pretty much current. I, we've talked to a number of producers. Even the ones that were backed up a month ago have caught up. So we think that we're caught up on that. If you look at weights on producer-sold pigs, they're pretty normal. They're almost exactly where they were last year. They've gone up at a very normal seasonal pattern in October. Now, should we start closing some plants down, we'll see that change. But we think that the, the, in spite of what the pigs report told us, and the September Hodgson pigs report has proven to be uh, not very close, okay, on these heavyweight categories. So in spite of what that told us, everything we're hearing in the countryside is we're, we're backed up, but we're, we're caught up. And um, in some cases, we've had packers chasing pigs. So you've seen this pig price uh, improve pretty sharply until a week ago when the when the cutout value broke. Uh, so uh, we're in much better condition now from Ohio West than we were then. And North Carolina's backed up, but we have to remember that those hogs don't have much to do with our price discovery system here. I mean, those hogs are priced off of the Western Corn Belt market, and in the Western Corn Belt, I think we're in pretty good shape. So we were given that big backlog number through most of this year. Is that number gone, or or is it low now? What would you say it is now? Well, we think it's probably still in the probably I'm going to guess six to eight hundred thousand range in North Carolina. Uh, I don't know that we have a backlog of any sort in the rest of the country. So, uh, you know, some right. people say, "Well, wait a minute, you told us you were going to have, we we're going to euthanize eight million hogs." Yeah, I did <laughs> because I didn't didn't realize, and I don't think anybody expected the ingenuity of whole diets and those kinds of things and uh, that, that producers got into and how we could spread those out and work through those backlog pigs. So that that's what prevented us from having to destroy a lot of hogs was the ingenuity of producers and nutritionists and, and veterinarians in, in holding those animals and keeping them on site, crowding up barns in order to do that. And now we're getting those barns spread out. Uh, there's, a, there's an online service that's a bulletin board for a lot of things in the pork industry, and they've they've got a, a very strong majority of their listings have space available now, as opposed to needing space, which was the case three months ago. Well, that's quite a story. I mean, as you said, Ohio West caught up, maybe a six to eight hundred thousand backup in North Carolina, but uh, that's quite a turnaround from where we were not that long ago. Steve, thanks for the numbers. Okay. Thanks for the perspective. You're very welcome, Mike. Have a great day and a great weekend.
Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So much better situation there. We'll see what happens uh, as we move forward. That's Steve Meyer, Kearns and Associates Economist. That wraps it up for the day and for the week. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe. Have a good weekend. Hope you'll join us again on Monday here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.